Milwaukee Mew is our special guest. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. So my name's Clint, if you didn't hear that before, and uh, we're so glad you guys are here. If you're here for the first time, um, there's a Connect card in your seat back pocket. Um, at, no matter how long you've been here, if you have any questions, any, any, any want, want to reach out about anything, it's a good opportunity to do that. And so, um, so just welcome. So glad you guys are here. And I've uh, got a few things to talk about. Um, first of all, uh, we, you'll see some of these shirts are around, right? So it says Psalm 78.4, and uh, which says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. And that is just our, our declaration, our proclamation to the church that we are so committed to tell them the next generation about God and about Jesus, about what Jesus did for them. And so um, I'm so excited to be a part of a church that, that values that so much and has so that, that all of our elders and their wives and, their, and, uh, and staff, so many of the staff serve in student and kids ministry here. And there's just, there's just such an, um, uh, a, a value put on that. And so a few things we want to tell you that are coming up that just kind of fall in line with that. The first thing is just have a few student ministry things that are coming up. Um, one is two weeks from today. Um, so next week is, uh, is, is uh, Good News Camp, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But two weeks from today, we will be starting our middle school gathering during our worship time. And so they will come in for worship. Um, and then where these guys, these the fourth and fifth graders get up and walk out, the middle schoolers would walk out too, go to our student room and we'll have our, our, own, our middle school gathering then, which we'll be talking to them. And have, I don't say they'll have their own service, but except for the first Sunday of each month when we do communion, we're going to worship together as a family. And so um, the first Sunday of every month, they will stay in here with us. And uh, every other week, um, we will release them after worship and we will go in and, and have our middle school gathering and experience in there. So um, also October 14th is our uh, girls um, event and uh, which we'll be talking about. Well, you want to go back to the other screen real quick. Um, October 14th, which we'll be talking about um, uh, image bearers, right, is that we are born as image bearers of God to, to, to bear the image of a holy God. And so we're going to be talking to our teenage girls. So all 6th through 12th grade girls, we want to invite them to be a part of that. If you know somebody who doesn't even normally come, it's going to be an incredible opportunity for them to connect. Um, last time we did this, we did it the first time kind of since I've been here. Um, we had about, I think we had 45 girls um, here uh, with like 11 or 12 of our girl, female leaders, lady leaders, woman leaders. I don't know how you say that. Ladies. All right. So, um, but uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time for our girls. It's from 6 to 10 o'clock. And, uh, and so a lot of good stuff coming up with student ministry. And then we also have our father-daughter dance. And so um, if you've got a daughter or you know a daughter or you've ever been around a daughter, I um, certainly want to invite you um, and to invite you to invite them to come be a part of that. It's going to be, um, I, know, I know this, I know, I know this. I know Ivy and I know Jackie. Right, and if you know Ivy and Jackie, it's going to be over the top, incredible, and they're going to go over the top and just making an incredible experience um, for uh, for our fathers and daughters. And so um, I don't know a whole lot more than that, except for I do know that life is sweeter with Jesus, and uh, and so we're going to get an opportunity just to share the love of Christ with them as well. And then the last thing is, it is Good News Camp next weekend. So. I'm assuming today or tomorrow is probably your last chance to sign up. So if you have not done that and you're like, oh, I was planning on doing that, bro, it's tomorrow. I mean, it's next week, so you got to do it, all right? And so make sure you get signed up. If you have any questions, see that guy, all right? So, and uh, because he knows more about it than I do. So, um, but again, we're just so glad you guys are here. Um, I guess we have something else, another announcement. I feel like I'm being karate. You're yeah. surrounded. <laughs> 
So milestones are important. They're important to celebrate when significant things happen. And so this week, we celebrate two super significant milestones. One is Clint has been on our team for one year this week. So we're thankful for that. And Parker has been on our team for four years on staff, and previously he served for several years as an elder. This year in our strategic plan, we said that we wanted to raise the leadership lid of our, all of our staff and gospel partners, and one of the ways we do that is through theological education. And so Parker and Clint, in the coming weeks, are going to be starting seminary. They're going to be taking seminary here on our campus through a ministry called LAMP, Leadership and Multi Ministry Preparation. It's seminary for the blue-collar man. Does anybody more blue-collar than these guys? So seminary for the blue-collar man, they're going to be walking through our theology and practice of the gospel with me on Monday morning. So pray for them, and uh, we're excited to pray for them this morning as they celebrate their milestone and start seminary this month. Jesus, thanks so much that you raise up leaders. Thank you that you have sent forth laborers into the harvest. We pray for Clint and Parker that that they would uh, show to um, this community, faithful is he who called you, and he will bring it to pass. Lord, equip them, train them uh, with the theology and the practice of the gospel that comes through knowing and following Jesus. And as they begin LAMP this month, I pray that, that they would be well-equipped to be laborers in your harvest field. Thank you for their work milestones, a year, four years. And Lord, we pray for many, many more as you continue to protect us uh, from the evil one and provide your Holy Spirit that we would follow you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, y'all. So the passage that we're going to give our attention to this morning comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm just going to read three verses, starting in verse 20 and uh, reading through verse 22. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some of honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Father, add your spirit to the reading of your word and grant the grace that I need, that your people need, to hear, understand, and respond to the greatest news ever told, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, by your Spirit, help those who have never heard of Christ to be 
brought from death to life this morning in the hearing of the gospel. Lord, we depend upon you. We ask for your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, I ended the message with two questions. Have you ever started doing anything because you love Jesus? And have you ever stopped doing anything just because you love Jesus? Now, this jar, this jar is empty except for the air that's inside of it. Now, if I wanted to get the air out, how could I do that? How could I get the air out of this jar? If I take the lid off, will that let the air out? Would it make the jar have no air inside? How would I have a jar with, with no air inside? Would I need to take it to a lab and, and attach it to some sort of vacuum device that, that would get all the air out? What if, what if I took some water? If I took some water and I poured the water into the jar, as I fill the jar with water, more and more of the air is expelled until there's no air and only water. Now, in the Christian life, something very, very similar happens. In the Christian life, so glad we have concrete floors. In the Christian life, someone moves in. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ moves into the center of our lives, and when he does, we learned last week that some things have to go. Verse 22 tells us that some of those things include youthful lusts. Verse 22. Um, where did you, where did, oh, here it is. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. I thought somebody had moved 2 Timothy in my Bible. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee, fill your life with Jesus, and experience the expulsive power of a new and greater affection. Because we only do what we love to do. And without the love of Jesus moving in, the thing that we'll most often love are the things of the flesh, the youthful lusts that we still carry with us. Many years ago, a man named Thomas Chalmers gave a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New and Greater Affection, and in it he said this, A moralist will be unsuccessful in trying to displace his love of the world by reviewing the ills of the world. Misplaced affections need to be replaced by the far greater power of the affection of the gospel, Jesus Christ. I hear so many people, so many people talking about the ills of the world. Ain't it awful? Ain't it awful? These people are awful, and those people are awful. But you know what's really awful with the world? I am. 
deep within my heart dwells a great evil, and that can only be transformed by the experience of the love of Christ. That when the love of Christ moves in, only the love of Jesus can push out, push out the affection that I naturally have for the world, for sin, for disobedience, and the natural affection I have for rule-keeping and rule-following, which is also not the gospel. When Jesus moves in with the gospel, he pushes out. Remember the song we remembered last week? There were four on the bed, and the little one said, roll over, roll over. So they all rolled over, and one fell out. Have you ever stopped doing anything simply because you love Jesus? Have you ever started doing anything simply because you love Jesus? We're looking this week, just as we did last week, at what it means to love Jesus. That a follower of Jesus has three great loves. He loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. A follower of Jesus loves one another. A follower of Jesus loves the lost. And we're looking again this week at the foundational love, the affection that we're able to have for Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is I want to teach you three things about the love of Jesus. That when you understand these three things, your heart will be moved to love Jesus and to let his love push out youthful lust. Those three things are revealed in this passage that I just read, and they're this. A new life, a new purpose, and a new leader. That for us to experience the love of Jesus, the expulsive power of the gospel, we need a new life. We need a new purpose. We need a new leader. So let's look at it. A new life. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now Paul is, is using the same strategy that Jesus used. He tells a parable. He tells a parable about a master of a house who in his house fills his house with vessels, some vessels of honor and some vessels of dishonor, some vessels of gold and some vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Now this imagery of vessels, this imagery of vessels is used throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it in another letter, the letter to Roman, to the Romans, and if we combine our understanding, if we combine our understanding of Romans 9, where he speaks about vessels, and our understanding of 2 Timothy 2, where he speaks of vessels, we'll be able to apply this gospel to our lives. We need both the teaching of Romans 9 and the teaching of 2 Timothy 2. Both is good. For example, Today, the NFL starts. 
Now, when the NFL starts today, do you want your linebackers, do you want the linebackers on your team, do you want them to be fast or do you want them to be powerful? Wouldn't you like to have both? You see, listen, it wouldn't do any good to have a linebacker who was really, really fast, like a tennis player, but who was also very, very small. It'd be also not good if you had a linebacker who was very, very powerful, but who wasn't very fast. In order to be in the NFL, you have to be both fast and powerful. Otherwise, you don't make the team. And it's the same with the two things that I'm going to teach you about these vessels from Romans 9 and 2 Timothy 2. So turn to Romans 9. Let's look together at what Paul says there, starting in verse 21. Does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? So Paul's telling the same type of parable, the same type of story. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. So in Romans chapter 9, we're told about vessels But these vessels, Paul says the difference between the honorable and the dishonorable vessel is that one has received mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is God's love towards the helpless. Mercy is God's love expressed to the helpless. What does God's love expressed to the helpless provide for us? Let me teach you a big word. Don't be frightened. The word is justification. Justification. That as vessels of mercy, we have been justified. We've been forgiven and declared righteous by God. So let me read you this statement from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That means That means that at one time, I could only stand in my own righteousness. And it's not very good. My own goodness, my own perfection does not meet the standard that God requires. It's not perfect righteousness. It doesn't meet the perfect standard that God has. Therefore, I need forgiveness, but I also need the righteousness. Justification means that as a vessel of mercy, I was helpless. 
I was helpless to forgive my sin. I was helpless to do anything to merit God's acceptance of me. But he chose. He chose to make me a vessel of honor, a vessel of mercy. He forgave all my sin, and he credited the righteousness of Jesus to my account. He can do the same for you. Has he? Are you aware of your need of forgiveness? Are you aware that your righteousness doesn't meet God's standard? Do you know how much you need righteousness? Vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy, who are freed from the wrath of God through Christ's work for us. So that's one, justification. Now what goes with it? I said, just like the linebacker, we need both strength and power. Justification is good, but we need something else. And that other work of grace is the work of sanctification. Sanctification, and that's what Paul deals with in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. Sanctified, useful to the master. So, justification always brings with it Sanctification. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. Whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. An honorable vessel is sanctified. An honorable vessel is justified by the God of mercy. An honorable vessel is sanctified by the same grace that justified us. We need Jesus to grow in holiness. We need Jesus to grow, to become more and more like our Savior, our Master. So we need a new life. We need a new life that includes both justification and sanctification. And how does it move in? It moves in by grace, through faith in Christ. Not looking to ourselves, but looking to him. So, that's the new life. And when we experience the new life, then we begin to experience a new purpose. A new purpose. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Prepared for every good work. Now let me read that same verse in the Phillips translation of the New Testament. And it's, he says this, If a man keeps himself clean from the contaminations of evil, 
he will be a vessel used for honorable purposes, clean and serviceable for the use of the master of the household, already, in fact, for any good purpose. For any good purpose. So when we experience new life through Jesus, we now want to experience a new purpose in our lives. And what is that new purpose? To please our master. To please the one who by his great love for us has moved in to change our life, to give us new life. We want to please the master in all things. We want to live for him and for his purposes. What are you doing tomorrow? What do you got going on tomorrow? Going to work? Going to play in the fields of God? Going to, going to serve and, and do something good for the world? How do you view what happens on Monday? Because it's every bit as important, more important, in fact, than what happens on Sunday. Tim Keller, many, uh, several years ago, wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor, and here's what he says. If the point of work is to serve and exalt ourselves, then our work inevitably becomes less about the work and more about us. Our aggressiveness will eventually become abuse, our drive will become burnout, and our self-sufficiency will become self-loathing. But if the purpose of work is to serve and exalt something beyond ourselves, then we actually have a better reason to deploy our talent, ambition, and entrepreneurial vigor, and we are more likely to be successful in the long run even by the world's definition. So who do you go to work for tomorrow? In the home, or in the marketplace, or in your school, who do you go to work for tomorrow? Are you useful to the Master? Has Jesus Christ moved in and given you a new life and now a new purpose? A new purpose. And then finally, a new life, a new purpose, a new master. There are two words that, are, that describe two changes that have to happen in order for us to be a Christian. In order for us to be a Christian, two changes have to take place. And those two changes that have to take place in our lives are a change, a change in ownership, and a change of loyalty. A change of ownership and a change of loyalty. So let's look at the change of ownership. In verse 21, you'll see the word master. Master. And the Bible was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word for master is the word despotes. And it comes into the English language almost directly, and it means a despot. That's how it comes into our language. Now, what's a despot? A despot is a king or other ruler 
with absolute, unlimited power. Is Jesus Christ your despot? Have you transferred ownership of your life to him as the king and ruler with absolute, unlimited power over your life? If a change of ownership hasn't taken place in your life, you're not a Christian. Now, Jesus Christ describes his work in bringing salvation to us in a number of different ways. And one of the ways he describes his work of saving us is in the word redemption. Redemption. And the word redemption means that a price has been paid to set us free. Free from what? Free from the guilt and shame brought about because of our sin. Sin brings about a debt. Sin brings about a debt. Now imagine, imagine that, that you and I are hanging out and, and you say, hey, let me borrow your phone for a second. So I hand you my phone, and in the course of handing the phone over, you fumble and stumble and you drop the phone. And the screen on the phone breaks. Now, a debt has been incurred. I can forgive the stumbling, fumbling, and the dropping of the phone. I can forgive that. But that forgiveness doesn't settle the debt. That forgiveness doesn't fix the screen on my phone. In order for the debt to be settled, in order for that to happen, not only do I need to forgive, but the phone has to be fixed or replaced. Redemption has to be accomplished. The debts have to be settled. And our sin, the bad news of the gospel, is that our sin has placed us in a situation where we've taken the life that God has given us, and through our fumbling and stumbling, we've seen it fall apart. And we owe a debt to the God who created us. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ offered himself as the redemption to pay the full and awful penalty that our sins deserved and to cancel our debt by dying on the cross in our place and then allowing his perfect record of righteousness to be credited to our account. Jesus Christ is our redemption. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, a redemption for many. He became our substitute so that we could be purchased now for God. Revelation 5 tells us that the worship in heaven makes a big deal about this. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom, a people with a new king, 
a new ruler who has absolute authority. And how, when we remember the purchase price has been paid for us by Jesus, when we remember our Redeemer, when we remember our Master, and we rejoice to serve Him. I know I've told you this story before. If you haven't heard it, I'm going to tell everyone again. Many years ago, one of the strategies that the abolitionists in this country, many of whom were Christians who opposed slavery in this country, one of the strategies they used was that they would go to the slave market and they would purchase the freedom of slaves so that they could be free. They would purchase the slave only to set them free. So one day, one of these abolitionists purchased a slave and when the slave came to her new master, he said to them, you're free. So what do you mean I'm free? He said, well, I've paid your purchase price and now you're free. I can go where I want to go? Yes, you're free. I can do what I want to do? Yes, you're free. I'll go with you. When we realize how gracious our Master Jesus is, that He has paid in full the purchase price, the redemption price, to settle our debt in our hearts, captured by the love of Christ, will want to follow Him under new leadership. Master. Master and Lord, Lord, now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has exchanged the ownership of their life from self to Christ, who calls upon the Lord who said, Jesus, I don't want you outside of my life. I want you inside of my life. I want you on the throne room of my life. I want you to be Lord of all things in my life. See, all of us come into this world living the self-directed life. And in the self-directed life, we sit on the throne of our own hearts and we direct all our decisions and actions feels pretty good to our sin nature. But the problem is that if you direct all your decisions and actions, you now bear the responsibility for all the consequences that come from those decisions and actions. But Jesus, as Lord, invites us to let him sit on the throne of our hearts, to bring him onto the throne of our hearts he desires to live as Lord of all things, to direct all our decisions and actions. And he says, if you let me sit on the throne of your heart, I will not only direct all your decisions and actions, I will take responsibility for everything 
that happens as a result of following me as Lord. So a Christian, a Christian is someone who has transferred, been transferred from self-ownership to Christ's ownership through the redemption price being paid for us by Jesus himself. He's now master. And a Christian is someone who has invited Christ onto the throne room of their life and has said yes to living the Christ-directed life. So is that you? This morning, as you sit, are you living, not a perfect life, but a life that reflects that Jesus is master and Jesus is Lord? Have you ever invited him in? If you haven't, won't you? Won't you say, yes, Jesus, I believe you lived the life I, deserve, I should have lived, and you died the death I deserve to die. You became my substitute. Thank you. Now, come into my life. Having purchased me through your death and resurrection, now come into my life as Master and Lord. If you've never asked him to do that, won't you this morning? And if you have, if you have, now the love of Jesus Christ controls us. The love of Jesus Christ controls us. We are now experiencing the expulsive power of a new and greater affection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in 2 Corinthians 5, we read this, verses 14 and 15, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Follower of Jesus, let the love of Christ control you. Why? Because through the gospel, his death as our substitute, he died in your place, and he rose so that you might no longer live for, your, for yourself, but for him. He gives you a new life. He gives you a new purpose. He is your new leader. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love of Christ. A justifying love a sanctifying love, that through Jesus Christ we have new life. Thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that when you move in, you give us a new purpose, that every day is an opportunity to wake up and to live our lives on purpose, with purpose, to accomplish your purposes. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus that you're our new leader, that we no longer have to listen to the self, the flesh, the world, the devil. We can now listen to you, Master and Lord. Oh, come in and, and, and take control, take possession of our hearts. If you sense this morning,
that up to now you've not been a Christian. You've never transferred ownership to Christ, won't you today? Won't you say to him now, Jesus, I admit I've been on the throne of my heart living the self-directed life. It's caused me to to sin against you and, and I'm sorry. But Jesus, I desire to transfer ownership of my life to you. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. Forgive me all my sin. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Help me, Jesus, as my new Master and Lord to experience life with you. Jesus, all of us, all of us could, could be reminded this morning of how good it is to be under new ownership. How freeing it is to have a new life and a new purpose and a new leader. May our weeks reflect that until we gather again to make much of you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.